The Film Comment Podcast from Sundance is sponsored by Autograph Collection Hotels. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. This is Eric Hines, curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image and uh, film comment columnist. And I'm here at the Sundance Film Festival with Steve James. Uh, and he's here to talk about uh, his new series that's premiering here. Uh, the first five episodes are premiering here uh, at Sundance called America to Me. Steve, hi. Hi. Great to see you. Good Eric. to see you again. And this is something that uh, you, uh, if, if you can set the scene for us a little bit in terms of how you conceived of it, in terms of had you conceived of it as a 10-part series, <laughs> had you conceived of it as just simply something you wanted to pursue that became this, um, like how intrinsic is the form to the story that you were pursuing? Right. Well, as you know, people have been begging me for years to do something 10 hours long. So uh, I finally just said, okay, let's do it. No, when I, when I started out, I did not, when I had the initial idea, I, I didn't even think of it as a series. Um, I thought it would be a, a standalone sort of, and much less ambitious, but be in the high school there. And, um, but then when I started to present to the school board to try to get permission to be in the high school, it was floated that they a, qu a question was asked by one of the school members is how do you think you can do justice to this mm -hmm. in just a single standalone film? And I said I think you're right. So we'll try and do it as a miniseries. So why? Well, because it's we're inside this school that is um, where I live, uh, where my kids went, and it's a it's a very well funded, very large public high school that is very diverse in a very very liberal community yeah and yet from having lived there over the years and seen my kids in that school you know it was clear that there were two different realities for kids who were black in that school and for kids who were white and i thought it, how, how, how was that clear clear just from your kids you know the friends of your your own children that you knew or just observing just their their experience of classes. Um, uh -huh. My my oldest son had some uh, you know ADD issues that caused him to have certain kinds of struggles. That meant he was in certain classes. My my uh, daughter was in AP and honors classes exclusively, and they had two very different experiences of the school. Just you know the stratifications within the school. The, some of the issues that would pop up um, around, for, uh, not pop up, but the, the long-running issues around achievement and disparities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, some, some anger in the community, particularly by black parents over mm -hmm. the years of feeling like their, their kids were not getting served well. You know, and all this in a community that took such enormous pride in its, in its, uh, in its recent um, history of embracing diversity and resisting white flight by integrating rationally and a destination for liberal parents with children who wanted their kids to go to a school like this. Mm -hmm. You know, all these, despite all these things, there were problems. And I always thought, you know, when I had the idea to do the film originally, I thought, you know, what's going on here? And mm -hmm. does that somehow get us at deeper seated uh, issues of race in this country than? 
if you just go into, as I have done and many filmmakers have done, go into a poor public school that is um, in a besieged and often violent, you know, gang-riddled community. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, people feel like, well, I know what's going on. But, but there's a lot more going on. Sure. <laughs> so that, that was the motivator. And, and so when this board member said, you know, how are you going to get at all this in, in a single film? Uh, I think I did make the joke, well, have you seen how long my films are? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I realized that that was the case. Now, when we decided, I'm really rambling here, but when, no, we, no, when, when we decided then to pursue it as a series and participant came on board remarkably quickly, uh, Diane Weirman got it what we were trying to do, you know, I didn't envision it to be 10 hours. I did envision that we would ultimately follow as many as 12 mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. not, not all subjects, you know, kids are created equal in terms of our attention to them in the film. But, but you know, I didn't envision quite the massive thing that we ended up doing, you know, where we shot nearly 1,400 hours of mm. material. Incredible. So, you know, 10 hours is not that much when you consider how much we shot. <laughs> right. Well, of course not. But but and, but also, like, it's interesting the, the way you talked about the uh, how it was being conceived and how it was developing and, the, and that pushback from uh, uh, a board member basically yeah. saying, well, how can you get this into a – which I think speaks to why it needs to be this length yeah. and also why, as you said, this is a, this is a bit more nuanced um, – uh, story that yeah. it's not just something that reads as being an impoverished community or an impoverished school or an underfunded school. Right. So to, to, to get to, to, to go deeper into something like this, you need a little bit of time to yeah. kind of wriggle your way and get the audience into to being from basically be able to situate themselves from within a school like that. that that's exactly right. Uh, my hope is is that by the time people watch the entire ten hours, because we we're showing five here, but we have you know we have good edits on six through ten mm -hmm. uh, although we still need to do you know, more work there but my 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 hope is that by the time you've experienced this whole series you really feel like you've been in this high school and in this community for that school year mm -hmm. that that you you have been immersed in it and mm -hmm. and not just and, and immersed in the lives of these kids also their extracurricular activities their home lives you know, we kind of tried to do it all, Eric, <laughs> and and to try to do it all about to a good end in a community and and stories that I, as a filmmaker, haven't been involved in trying to tell up to now. You know, not the stories of desperately poor black people or in very very different difficult circumstances, living situations. These are these were stories that I was fascinated to tr want to learn and follow, which were black and biracial kids in in very, you know, in a place like Oak Park. I've seen the first two episodes. I will be seeing the first five by the end of the the week. Um, but already, in terms of who you've who you've introduced, there are kids here that are absolutely singular, as every kid is, obviously. But you're showing me people, kids who are sort of so uniquely trying to understand themselves yeah. and in themselves and in a community, you just don't often get a chance to meet um, kids this unique because they're not filling a slot. They're not representing, uh, you know, a community necessarily. They're really unique people that you're introducing us I, to. I appreciate you saying that because it was, it was important to us that we not just follow, you know, the star of the football team or the, the basketball player who might go to college on a scholarship, you know, mm -hmm. I did that story. Um, <laughs> or, or the big personalities. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to follow kids who really spanned a kind of spectrum 
of grade levels, academic um, achievement, and personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was vitally important, for instance, to follow really quiet kids. And you know, typically, documentary filmmakers shy away from mm-hmm. really quiet subjects for obvious reasons. Sure, <laughs> they're not easy, and it's not. But but we just felt like this was essential that we do this, and that we, you know, for maybe for some people, change their notion of what a, who who black and biracial kids are by virtue of the fact that you see a range of kids who are very different from one another and who are, as you say, who are incredibly sort of self-aware and thoughtful about mm-hmm. where they find themselves in life. I mean, at, at a young age. At that age. My, I, I was not at that age not, at all. Not, not at all in my case either. <laughs> but there's a – for quiet kids, it's not usually the, the easiest thing to do for documentary. But it is I, – I, I would imagine you did think of this in terms of if you have a year – that's actually a bit of time that you yeah. can get to know a quiet kid. Absolutely. It's hard to read and, and if you're shooting for two weeks or three weeks. But if you've got 10 months or so, yeah. you may get somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and w- the other thing is is that we were also, when we, you know, when we started this project, we, we probably talked to 40 kids and their parents. And, and, and I was... Before the school year that you're yeah, documenting? Okay. Yeah. And, and out of that, we picked about seven kids to start with. And then along the way we took on another five kids. So by the end of it, there were 12 kids in our orbit. But when kids came in, I was insistent that their parents come with them, and not just because it's probably the proper thing to do, but also because I I saw this as we were looking to follow not just the kid, but the family, and we wanted to get a sense of the home situation and who, who, who these parents were and how they engaged around these issues of their children and race. And um, I'm really one of the things I'm really kind of thrilled about is is that we have such an uh, the kids are so fascinating, and I find the parents <laughs> really amazingly interesting too. And you know, this is a project because of its massiveness. You know, I was able to bring in this incredible group of um, of director uh, shooters. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're segment directors by credit in the film. Kevin Shaw. Um, Rebecca Parrish and Bing Liu. Bing has his own debut here at Sundance in uh, Minding the Gap, and and then and then myself. And between the four of us, we were you know on the ground following these stories. Um, you know, I, we we worked out the math. It, it we we averaged something like eight or nine hours a day of shooting during the duration of the project, wow. and the school day is like eight hours. So. <laughs> Wow. We did a lot of shooting. <laughs> and so how did you, just a little bit of the, the coordination around that, how did you, was that fully like spreadsheeted out in terms of the four of you over the course of the year, or was it a little bit more responsive? Well, well what happened was is that after we did this, this initial interview of 40 or so kids and parents, then I narrowed it down to about 13 candidates. And then I brought the segment directors in mm-hmm. and the producers in, and they looked at the the tapes that we had made when we you know interviewed, and then we started batting around which kids appealed to each of mm-hmm. the segment directors that they wanted to follow. And I could have immediately said the ones I wanted and followed the ones I wanted. Um, that would have been okay for me to do, but I didn't do that. I I really deferred and I kind of said, um, tell me the ones that 
you want to follow each of you and there were some overlaps that we, and mm. you know there was a little negotiations <laughs> that had to go around yeah. but I, I really tried to pair each of the filmmakers with stories that they were both passionate about and that seemed to me to be great s kids for them to follow and then I I uh, one of the kids on my list was Terrence uh, and no one picked Terrence huh. um, because they were afraid of trying to follow that story because Terrence is one of these really extremely quiet yeah. um, kids but I was so fascinated by him and his mom uh -huh. and his and Tierra who is his aunt actually but younger than him mm -hmm. um that's part of the story anyway you know i uh, i got what i wanted ultimately <laughs> but you know it so it was a kind of process of trying to pair the right kids with the right filmmakers got it. and i think it worked out really well mm -hmm. but you also you mentioned the parents um which i, I agree I've, I've already find them incredibly fascinating in the episode two there's the spoken word poetry introduction we're introduced yes. to the spoken word poetry world and there's a father who's with a, with an incredible daughter, yeah, um, but but how he's basically upfront about saying like I'm so much more interested in sports than I am in this poetry thing. What is she doing? Yeah, which is great. You know, it reminds me of the way that my parents probably spoke about me with my pursuits at some point, where they're, yeah, I support you, but I frankly don't get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then you also get into the teachers, right. and that's and and I think it's worth maybe going back. And this isn't disclosing too much because you and I had a, a, a chat uh, about what you were working on a while ago and you mentioned this story and then I was shocked and and kind of amazed and excited to see that basically the series starts off with that story basically the backstory of where um, of how uh, the film even could get shot right. um, and I think that speaks to a little bit of some of the tensions that are going to be threaded throughout which is um, that there was definitely not a, a, a universal uh, uh, desire to have you make us this film no. uh, within the in terms of the principal the some on the board and, and superintendent, teachers yeah. superintendent yeah. yeah no the board you know the board really you know the reason the film got made was simply because the board became convinced through our efforts that this was a good thing to do and they approved it over the objection of the superintendent of the school and the principal of the school and I know there were a lot of people within the school that that you know had concerns that we were being able to come in here and do that so as a consequence of that the principal and superintendent did cooperate at least in terms of our presence in school but they didn't personally cooperate in terms of being being interviewed interviewed right. or featured in outside of public meetings but that the, what that meant is that I went to a lot of school board meetings I went to a lot of public meetings so that I could get them in their public mode okay because that to me was an essential part of the story even if they didn't want us to really film it it it's it's you know we're really this is how you get to 10 hours you follow a lot of kids yeah. and their families you follow a lot of extracurricular activities which define them and make them interesting in more ways and then you also try to tell the story of a school and an ecosystem, which is what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I hope people find it compelling. How did you? But <laughs> well, I they will, and they and I already have, and everything you're. I mean, honestly, that's what the thing. Like the the backstory to this, I already found absolutely fascinating. The fact that that's actually going to be in in the series itself, or in, or allows the viewer to carry that with them, uh, with him or her, is is also another layer of why it's compelling. Um, but did so. But one thing I was feeling in terms of the tension, which I'm fascinated by, and I'm fascinated to see get um, see over the course of the the school year. 
is the teachers are cooperating, they're talking, and, but you also can't help but stand outside of what they're doing in terms of how the students feel about how they're being taught and how the teachers feel about the students. It's an uncomfortable space right. to be in. And, and I wonder how that played out over the course of the year, just during the you and your relationships with everybody. You know, the teachers that embraced being a part of the series were teachers who believed in what we were trying to do. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain kind of self-selection that goes on there. But nonetheless, you, uh, and again, I think you won't really encounter this until you, you start to encounter this in episode three. Uh -huh. um, you will see that some of the teachers, however well-intentioned they are about these issues of racial equity in the classroom, they have a long way to go in terms of really understanding it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, they think they know more than they do. Okay. And okay. So it, it gets pretty complicated in the case of a, 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 some of the teachers, or they don't have the kind of command of the classroom. Uh, I really appreciated the candor with which the teachers embrace this kind of scary proposition of allowing us into their classrooms. Sure. Because a lot of teachers said no. They yeah. just flat out refused. But it's such a big school, 3,400 students, something like 250 teachers in this school. Mm -hmm. I think when you watch the series, you, you feel like we are everywhere. <laughs> um, and we are in quite a number of places. And the size of the school actually helped us in terms of being under the radar in mm -hmm. ways that we're good. <laughs> but you could be really somewhere for a bit and the rest of the school doesn't even know. You're not, it's not being bothered by what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I mean, there were many, many teachers you know, we never crossed paths with. Wow, yeah. wow. The other thing, uh, in, in terms of how they, things start, another thing that's straight off the bat in the beginning, which I was curious about in terms of how you conceived of, like you were looking to um, look at some of this, uh, the, the disparity of, 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 of the educational experiences, the, the, the sort of the, the, the way that race is either handled or mishandled within the school that in so many ways is doing so many things right. And yet there's also the beginning of this is there's a Black Lives Matter event right. that's at that school that was very controversial. It's clear that the students are even more they're, they're, they're even more engaged with this than maybe they were even a year before, which is an interesting yeah. year for you to be there. Yeah. You obviously were pre preparing for this well in advance, and yeah. yet here you were gifted, I guess, with <laughs> students thinking about their place in the world even more acutely. Yeah, I think it, we came in at a particularly fraught time for the community um, around that assembly that was controversial because um, it was uh, exclusively held for black students and in a community like Oak Park that prides itself on its diversity and its, and its progressivism, that didn't sit well with a lot of people. They, they felt like, why would you exclude us? We're, we're, right. we're here to help. We're, we're part of the solution. We're not part of the problem. Well, one of the things I think the series gets into as it goes along is to see the extent to which white privilege plays out in a community like Oak Park that is an inhibitor of real, real change mm. because the high school works terrifically well for a great majority of the white students that go there. Mm. And so no matter how much uh, liberal white parents say they love being a part of this diverse environment, it's working for their kids the way it is. So there's not the kind of deep motivation to see it change. Right. Right. And I, I, maybe I'm saying this projecting from my own experience growing up in New York, but there is also an element of the white students uh, have their experiences are enriched by the presence exactly. of minority students. Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for the minority yeah. students. You know, when you have uh, just a few minority students in a classroom because uh, 
it's an honors or AP level, it, it can be quite intimidating for them. However, enriching it might be yeah. for, the, for the white students. Right. <laughs> or how enriching they feel it might be. They feel it might be. Um, we're going to have to close in a minute, but I just wanted to ask one question about the rest of the series and as a teaser for the rest of you, because if you are like me and you're a huge, huge uh, appreciator of uh, Hoop Dreams, uh, a film that you and I have talked about in the past, Steve, how um, it, it's so successful as a work of, works, uh, work of observation that you actually sometimes forget get that there's a voiceover right and not only is there you doing the voiceover but you're announcing sports games right. at various <laughs> points which I, I really love and straight I'm off no, the bat, I'm no dick vital though well which is not a bad thing actually um, um uh, but uh, Marv Albert maybe uh you're definitely no Marv Albert so I, I, I won't go, go that far but how the end of the first episode you're giving me a little bit of play-by-play -play <laughs> of the high school football match yeah. uh, or game, and that was pretty exciting. Are we going to get more of that as we go? Yeah, not you won't hear too much from me, but but embedded within this series, uh, sports is uh, is a significant thread, particularly in the story of Kendale, who mm -hmm. is this really interesting uh, kid. He's a senior. He's been in band and, and very prominent member in band. As a black kid, though, the band is overwhelmingly white. And this is his final chance, his senior year, to hopefully actually succeed and be a starter on this powerhouse wrestling team, which is mostly black and Latino. And that's interesting because uh, wrestling, by and large, is a very white sport. and. Oak Park River Forest wrestling team, which has been hugely successful in recent years, is a real anomaly, and there are racial implications in the state around that because of their success, which mm. plays out in okay. the second half of the series. Embedded within American Media is a, a kind of really, sort of really interesting sports season story having to do with Kendale and wrestling. Okay. There's the spoken word competitions. Uh -huh. That, that play out in a very substantial thread. It's almost like we're telling all these different movies and mixed up, mashed together in, in one long series. But I'm ex that well, excited. Those movies are housed in one institution. They're yeah, all exactly. That they're, they're all happening. So, but I'm excited about it because, you know, my hope is, is that you, you kind of fall in love with each of these kids as a viewer and you just come to care about them and that's what keeps you watching to see what becomes of them as they go through this vital year. Steve, I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. This is a, everyone, this is a very, very, very significant thing to have 10 hours of Steve James documentary uh, being introduced to us this year. So please, no, you're laughing, but I'm very sincere about that. So um, uh, it's very, very, very exciting. So thank you for being here and talking to us about it. Thank and, uh, and uh, see America to me, everyone. Bye. Please. Thank you, Eric. The Film Comment Podcast from Sundance is sponsored by Autograph Collection Hotels. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else, 